Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. everyone. So there aren't any environmental uh, announcements for this particular podcast episode. Nothing additional or special I, I want to, um, you know, let you know about. So I want to jump into our first segment up, which is headlines from the hemispheres. It is where we cover environmental news all across our globe. And we're going to dive in to news out of Africa and how the pandemic has fared thus far. So Africa's pandemic puzzle, why so few cases and deaths? And this was out of Science Magazine. Uh, I love Science Magazine. It's very thorough in its archive. It's one of the most expansive, uh, organized, and lengthy archives I've ever found on the web. And it has so many different science articles, some for free, some you have to unlock and pay for. And uh, one of the ones we're going to discuss is uh, one of the uh, stories from uh, Africa and the many different nations that are affected uh, out of Africa because of the coronavirus. Now, Africa had its millionth official coronavirus uh, case back in mid-August 2020, and it's been relatively holding up, although there's been one confirmed case every so often for every 1,000 people, and there's been 23,000 uh, deaths at least. Probably more, but there's just uh, that marker of, of about 23,000. So there have been... Uh, antibody uh, surveys that have been conducted among scientists that are trying to find out uh, why there's such a huge discrepancy amongst the uh, Africans that are infected and how uh, they can find the correct numbers and and find out why this is happening. So there have been uh, many scientists, uh, some from the uh, Kenya Medical Research Institute uh, Welcome Trust Research Program. They tested 3,000 blood donors and um, one of the um, immunologists and, and, their, and her colleagues, they estimated that one in about 20 Kenyans aged 15 to 64 years or about 1.6 million people have antibodies uh, to the coronavirus. So that means they've had an indication there of a past infection. So that means that they've already been exposed to the coronavirus. Now, scientists in uh, other parts, they are talking about um, the 10,000 people or so in in several different cities in Mozambique. Um, Two of these cities, um, Nampula and Pemba, the 10,000 people in these two cities, they already had antibodies of the coronavirus in about 3 to 10% of the participants. So that's about 300 to about 1,000 people, depending on their occupation. They're more predisposed to getting the coronavirus versus other uh, fields. So those who are who are uh, market vendors had some of the highest rates, uh, followed by health uh, care workers. 
Uh, more antibiotic surveys are needed to fill in the gaps in the picture as to why um, there aren't enough uh, people being tested and the numbers, you know, continu continuing to add up. And so a French-funded uh, study will test thousands for antibodies in the following uh, countries, in uh, Guinea, and Senegal, Benin, Ghana, Cameroon, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, or the DRC. Uh, next, second headline is about a cannibal use amongst uh, expect expectant uh, mothers. So maternal cannabis use in pregnancy and child uh, neurodevelopmental outcomes. This was out of nature.com. I've been wanting to uh, talk about this story because I had it for a, a long time and I just figured to announce it now. And this is out of Canada where the study took place. Now, there was a retrospective analysis done that uh, means that it used existing data that um, has been used or would have been used to record for reasons other than for research. And in this study, they were looking at the legalization of recreational uh, cannabis in the jurisdictions uh, within Canada and some of the adverse childhood outcomes uh, related to prenatal exposure. So uh, those mothers who um, aren't mothers yet, but they're smoking uh, during their pregnancies. So the, rep the retrospective analysis was conducted from live births, this data, and it was taken uh, from the sets of data from April 2007 to April, 2020, um, to April 2012. And the researchers linked that there was a linked pregnancy and the birth data to the provincial health administrative databases. So all the provinces or provinces of Canada and those databases um, just to ascertain the likelihood of the child neurodevelopmental outcomes. And they found that there was an association between maternal cannabis use in pregnancy and the incidence of autism spectrum disorder in their offspring. Now, the incidence of autism spectrum disorder diagnosis was about four to um, or per every 1,000 uh, among children with exposure compared to about 2.42 uh, uh, frequency among those who are unexposed. So those who were exposed, of course, to uh, cannabis use, you know, in the womb, they had, of course, a, a higher likelihood of getting autism spectrum disorder as a diagnosis. Lastly, I want to briefly talk about the uh, oil spill out of France. So France helping um, Merudis, probably mispronouncing the country, um, over MV uh, Wakagio oil spill accident. This was done out of Reuters.com. They channeled the uh, story. So this is from France. France uh, had sent a military plane and naval boat uh, to uh, Meroidus to, you know, deal with how the government has been, you know, um, trying to clean up the oil spill that caused or was caused by the um, MV uh, Wakagio accident. And the MV Wakagio was operated and is operated by the Mitsu OSK lines. It's a uh, big uh, oil rig company. And they struck a reef on the uh, Moritis southeast coast back on uh, late July, uh, August, I mean, on July the 25th. 
and there were concerns, of course, noted uh, from environmentalists, officials, and others talking about that this could be an ecological disaster. The pictures were horrific and uh, very intense to look at because there's a lot of uh, oil on the beaches and it was it was harmful. So um, if you want to check out the story, you can, of course, on wordis.com or by searching it as well. So this piece, this news piece, has a lot of great information. I found it on positive.news. I love that website. It's mainly out of the UK, so it's out of the UK. And they do stories from all over, but they have different types of stories. And they have posts from companies, and they talk a little bit about everything. There's always something new and fresh there. And they have their own magazine. I think an online magazine is, as well as um, paper magazine, probably. So you can always uh, look more into positive positive news um, if you want more on their stories. Now this is about bees. I I like uh, positive.news because they have a lot of animal articles and uh, articles about uh, what's new for that week and they and they kind of have mass collections or little um, spotlights on people and companies and other things like that and I found some information about bees and how uh, there are different cities that are opening up their spaces to bees and other insects and having uh, small pockets of where nature can sort of build in places where there maybe aren't enough trees you know people are bringing uh, nature back uh, to the center and they're really making sure that they, they don't exclude uh, animals out of the equation when it comes to urban planning, building cities, parks, and, and other green spaces too. And if you love bees or nature, or maybe you haven't heard about this, uh, because it's, it's kind of taking on uh, the world by storm. It's happening in cities bit by bit. Uh, for any uh, nature activists or uh, nature lovers, just anyone who loves um, nature, then I think that you'll enjoy uh, this episode. Beekeepers, uh, entomologists, those who study insects or um, honeybees, then you will, I think, definitely enjoy this as well. So the benefits um, of urban spaces for bees is what we're going to cover, and we're going to you know sort of dive into this uh, new topic because it's one that I've sort of touched on before, but it didn't didn't necessarily speci- specify bees. Uh, it was more about uh, mental health and uh, green spaces, parks. Um, places where you can be outside, gardens and such. So this is for um, bees um, and, and coverage about bees. So we're going to look at how you know nature is beautiful and you can definitely enjoy it, of course, by the parks that we have, memorial sites, gardens, forests. All these are great for our ability to exercise, get fresh air, um, socialize, uh, improve our mental health, and to really appreciate our planet. Like it, it's it's beautiful to celebrate on Earth Day, uh, all the the greenery and plants and and all those who love nature. It's a time to really appreciate it when you're outside. In one study at uh, Denmark's University of Aarhus, uh, there were um, information and data related to how children uh, being brought up and who who grew up without regular access to green spaces, they were about 55% more likely to develop depression and other psychiatric disorders than those who grew up in nature. So uh, loving nature and being in it, celebrating it uh, every so often or maybe every day, depending on where you live, uh, is really beneficial for your health. 
And with bees, they can also benefit too. So they benefit from our parks, our gardens, just like we humans do. And a new research published in the scientific journal PLUS One out of the Institute for Environmental Research in Germany, it suggests that urban gardens and parks and roadside uh, places that kind of specialize in, in cultivating places for animals and insects that are safe havens almost, uh, they play a vital role in boosting bee uh, numbers and also other pollinator numbers like butterflies, uh, thanks to the diversity of the blooming plants there and the absences of pesticides. So that's a really beautiful thing. Now, we're going to uh, quickly, before we wrap up, look into what an urban oasis looks like and what that actually is. So an urban uh, oasis is a beautiful space where uh, insects uh, gather, animals gather, and they're free from harm, usually, and they're just there in a, in a place, in, in, in an urban setting, a city or so, uh, and they're, they're mixed in with humans, and they don't have to worry about anything, and they can just roam, kind of like in a park or a retrofitted space. So an example of this, a modern example, would be with the Core Landscapes Community Garden in East London, where they have flower beds that are uh, blooming with all types of different plants, like lavender and roses and poppies and, and foxgloves and all types of other uh, flowers. These are to encourage bees to the spaces within the garden there in East London. And uh, it's being, uh, of course, hailed as a haven for all those wildlife. And it's also a place for community engagement. So these are places where us humans, as people, can gather, you know, maybe sit for some tea, maybe, uh, you know, um, exchange in a little bit of a chat, um, can network, whatever we need to do. It, it's great uh, meeting new people and having fun there alongside these uh, animals. Uh, another example is in the Dutch city of um, Utrecht. I'm probably mispronouncing that. It's a U-T-R-E-C-H-T. And they turn the roofs of bus stops and stations into gardens for pollinators. That's a brilliant idea. And uh, also Paris. Paris has, has gotten in on this too, but they've themselves have un outdone themselves. Uh, and in the summer, uh, they went ahead in uh, 2020, um, they created the world's largest urban farm. And I'll have a little bit more information about that uh, in a few minutes. Now I'll leave you with a notable quotable and then I can uh, lead us to some commentary. So as far as a notable quotable, Quote, we recommend reducing the level of management interventions as spontaneous vegetation and more natural areas provide opportunities for various insect habitats. Quote, end quote. Said the report. Uh, quote, preservation of even small-scale unplanned areas should be integrated into planning guidance to promote local biodiversity, especially for solitary wild bees and cyphids. End quote. And that was from the report that the researchers did. Uh, again, uh, it was a study done by the Institute for Environmental Research, again from Germany, and it was published in the journal uh, Plus One. I love uh, parks, and I've I've done a few podcast episodes before where I've talked about some of the benefits of parks and being in, in those green, lovely spaces, you know, whether it's the summer 
or the spring or even early fall, like before it gets cold and windy, uh, cherishing uh, parks is a, is a beautiful, fun thing. I love when it's uh, just so uh, bright and sunny outside and, you know, kids are playing and there's, you know, um, all types of activities and festivals outside. And, you know, you see a friend that you haven't seen in a while and you, you chalk it up and you're, you're there and you're talking for a good long time or there's barbecues. And it's super fun to go outside in parks and even, even um, you know, just the fever of, of, of going and exercising even outside, you know, maybe in your neighborhood can uh, boost you to go outside even more. And the fact that, um, you know, these pollinators, they, they love green spaces too. They love urban areas too is a, is a beautiful thing too, as they should. That's where they, they naturally occur and they naturally roam. Um, but we should have spaces in cities uh, for those who are city dwellers or maybe in rural areas too, where they get the, the, the added benefit of having uh, places that are um, unique, are niche to them, uh, are, are probably unclaimed uh, places, but are cleaned up and in spaces where we as people can also congregate on them. Um, from afar, like gently, like not um, have um, super sturdy structures there, have it be organic as possible, um, maybe have, you know, tree logs that are fashioned every every which way uh, to be comfortable to maybe uh, sit for a minute, but have the, the insects take over, have nature um, have that, that place. With the urban oases that we've, we've mentioned in places like the Dutch city, Muurtrecht, um, um, I I like the fact that they have the the roofs of the bus tops um, turned into garden spaces for pollinators. That's a brilliant idea. Um, all the bus stops that are in the U.S., for example, we could have those bee places where bees and butterflies and other insects that love to pollinate flowers and, and crops or just like the roam, uh, they should be able to, to be there and to, to have a, a nice uh, place to go to, a nice place to travel to uh, amongst their, their hoppings and goings. And uh, in Paris, they, they have the largest, the largest uh, urban farm uh, in the world. It's uh, 14,000 square meters. That's 15,000 square feet. That's a huge area. And that's an urban farm. And so they're doing their part to uh, make it so that they can uh, build uh, and have vegetables and community gardens and, and teaching people and, and fostering in the community and teaching kids and, and having uh, so much produce that they can probably give away some. And they can uh, really uh, have a new class of people who are, are in uh, Paris who are, are living and, and cultivating uh, amazing fruits and vegetables, but also uh, taking heed to appreciate nature and to uh, love and appreciate it so much that they they want to uh, build upon it more. They want to uh, protect it. They want to nurture it. They want to do so much for that. Uh, I'm really proud of Paris for doing that. It's, it's big of them to, you know, do that. Um, also, with the a study that we, we talked about and we pulled from out of the Institute for Environmental Research from Germany, their um, plan, it's a plan for cities, that's the name of the report and where the research 
um, for this news was from that uh, they were identifying that uh, urban community gardens are beneficial for uh, insects because of the uh, diversity of seasonal flowers. So flowers where um, some are planted and in that season they grow up and they, they, they bloom and they do what they do. They either leave seeds or um, are food for some of the other insects, etc. But then they die. And so there's a, there's a cycling of the necessary flowers in, in spaces like that. Um, and uh, in that study, in the report, the researchers were finding that the pollinators' numbers were growing and increasing in places like urban gardens, which is amazing. And they compared those to rural sites, and they looked at those, and they found that uh, in in spaces where there were parks, greener spaces like that, in urban gardens, there were significantly higher numbers, uh, just like in rural sites. So that kind of breaks the 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 common misconception that that things can't. Uh, grow or populate heavily in cities. Maybe there's not enough green spaces. Maybe there there is a portion of uh, cities like in New York City or or other main cities where there's there's green, but there can be levels uh, of growing uh, populations that are kind of sensitive, like our bees. You know, we have these the 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 Paul the um the um. Uh, all types of colony collapse disorders um, that are happening now and, uh, you know, populations and species of bees dying, maybe this is a way to rectify that and have their numbers increased by having these community gardens, having these urban settings where these these gardens and these, these places can grow up and, and, and populate um, the bees and uh, make them more, um, you know, in, in, in higher numbers. And I, I, I like that a lot. Um, so... I think with what we're going to learn next in the Mother Earth Minutes a segment that we can learn uh, how to build better uh, communities for insects and bees and others. And there are other tips for those who garden and things like that. I think that you'll enjoy too, again, in the Mother Earth Minutes uh, segment. In the Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things that we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and to protect Mother Earth. Now the message for this podcast episode is simply to bring bees to urban areas. You can also use these tips to uh, have bees come to your your gardens, um, you know, green places where you live. Maybe you work outside and you want to bring more insects, more animals around uh, and, and have them be abundantly surrounding you or you want to uh, build uh, better spaces around so that they kind of don't have a fear of uh, being encroached upon or, you know, dying or having their habitat destroyed. Um, you can kind of expound upon these uh, tips as well, but these will get you started too. And I think that you'll really enjoy these, especially for anyone who loves outside, loves bees, um, or just loves insects in general, or just loves nature like I do. You will definitely enjoy these uh, tips. So the first one is to listen in on my other podcast episodes specifically about bees and parks. And I did another one about research back in the benefits of parks and uh, how they benefit us humans as people. So um, it is one of the 
podcast is entitled Research Supports the Importance of Parks, Green Spaces, and Human Well-Being. I did that one back on uh, May the 31st, 2020, and that was episode 159. And then the other uh, podcast episode I did was The Buzz About Bees, How to Identify Different Bees, plus New Prize Giveaway. The giveaway has since closed, and I did that one back on May the 12th, uh, 2020. Uh, 19 that's episode 49 so if you love bees that's a popular uh, episode about animals period and bees especially uh, and it's, it's funny that they're both done in may those podcast episodes but i love that you'll uh, enjoy those and i really hope that you do the second tip is to adopt an approach of being hands-off when it comes to uh you know mosing around uh with the space after you're done building it and kind of uh, forming it so uh, whether it comes from um, plants or or things that happen to uh, grow uh, after you, you're you're done mowing maybe you don't have to mow um, all the spaces around your gardens you know you want to mow only what's necessary but kind of leave alone the native wildfire uh, wild uh, flowers like your daisies and dandelions and, and white clover and and have those uh, bloom uh, successfully you want for the bees and butterflies and other insects to gather as much of the needed uh, nectar and pollen uh, for them. So you want to uh, garden what you can, mow what you can, but leave the native stuff uh, to its to its own um, uh, uh, goings-ons and, and, and leaving those plants alone so that they can have a chance to grow and be, uh, you know, necessary food uh, for the bees and other types of insects. Number three is to think small and also big. So uh, this means that you can make the most out of small places that you may uh, think they can't be used, like uh, hanging uh, planting pots or containers that um, can be uh, ones that have another life to them or window boxes, Uh, any place that you think that uh, bees uh, or other insects may love, uh, make sure that you make the... Uh, most use out of that. Uh, It can be a really great food source for them or nesting site uh, for hoverflies or wild bees or or for other types of insects too. So whatever you um, are thinking of doing outside, you know, make sure that it's a a great useful space for them uh, and it's as organic and natural as you can sort of leave it. Uh, No fancy uh, electronics or uh, anything that can maybe rust or, you know, be damaging to them. You want everything to be as seamless as possible. Number four is to be diverse when it comes to your flowers and what you plant. So this means uh, planting as many native types of flowers that you can get your hands on that will attract uh, bees uh, to them. And this also means planting flowers that will bloom in each season. So flowers that will bloom in the spring, in the uh, summer, in the you know early fall, that uh, uh, will be able to sustain uh, harsh you know temperatures if if needed and if they can. And these will be a continuous food source for bees and hoverflies and other insects too. And number five is to, of course, go organic uh, when it comes to uh, taking care of these plants uh, so they can take care of the bees and the other insects. 
So avoiding use of uh, neonicotinoids and other pesticides. I've, I've spoken about neonicotinoids uh, previous to this podcast episode because they are harmful to all types of pollinators and other wildlife too. There's just poisons. And these uh, insecticides, because these are what they are, they're similar to nicotine. And with the impact uh, to bees, there are they're numerous in them. They make it difficult for bees to uh, even forage for nectar, and they can't remember or even learn where or flowers are located, and it impairs their ability to find their way home to their nest or hive. And then lastly, number six tip is to create bee hotels. Now, if you want to, uh, definitely in our... Um, want to be creative, you can use rocks and wood to make a shelter for uh, insects in your garden or pond or another type of water source. It could be small, it could be big, and also can enhance uh, habitats uh, within urban areas too. The eco fact of the day is that Wolf OR7, which made headlines in 2011 when it loped into California from Oregon, is presumed dead, possibly of old age. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club's Sierra Magazine in the July-August 2020 issue. Here we are at the Eco Company Spotlight, which is an amazing time here at Greener Thoughts here, where we talk about amazing environmental companies and they have services and products for you, uh, where I, of course, review them and talk a little bit more in depth about the companies and how they operate and just how they get started and just how they've grown and just the amazing products that they have, sometimes new products and also different services too. I love so many different types of things out there and I've been doing a lot of reviewing since February 2019. And one of the, the most, um, I think, uh, near and dear companies for me is Simple Shoes. And I love them. I've loved the products for a long time. And I want to get started and talk to you about them uh, right now. So Simple Shoes has been uh, in existence since uh, 1991, so a long time. And they started out in Southern California, and they were built on you know, finding roots in the surfer community, st- skateboarder community, and also uh, honing in uh, as uh, having the um, uh, amazing uh uh, built a uh, brand uh, with you know the Volkswagen uh, somewhat close to them and really keeping their roots uh, you know together in those communities and you know they really relish in slowing down in life and appreciating simple things like the function of a shoe you know some amazing styles and a, of course amazing craftsmanship so simple shoes has really stood this test of time and they sort of are a alternative to overbuilt uh, over um, uh, abundantly styled and, and overhyped and over designed types of shoes and products and they pride themselves on their green materials and their use over the years and how they will be creating more uh, different types of styles in the future for sure. 
Now, I love that Simple Shoes products, they are amazing. They have so many different materials that they've used in their products. Uh, their commitments to sustainability is enormous. You know, they have eco-friendly um, materials that they use, which I'll get into uh, as far as my review. They have responsible packaging that they use, recycled materials, responsible manufacturing practices. And they also have co-certified suede and leather uh, from their factories uh, that they have, and they have them uh, eco-certified with a BLC or uh, ISO 14001 uh, certificate. Now with the products that um, Simple Shoes has had over the years, they sort of vary definitely as far as anyone who knows them back in the 90s onward. Uh, but for now, they have their shoes, which they have the OS sneaker, their original. They have the Barney, they have the Slow sneaker, they've got the Edward, they've got the Retro 91 sneaker. They also have new shoes like their clogs. They've got the Rincon uh, uh, Pint. Um, or pint uh, clog and they have it in uh, five colors and they have the uh, cloud nine clog they also have accessories too and uh, I love uh, simple shoes for many reasons and I, I bought them initially um, I think from an ad either on YouTube or maybe from uh, shopping around I think from the walking company when uh, back uh, when they had a lot of outlets um, in malls, I think I, I stumbled upon uh, them. Yep, that's when I, I stumbled upon Simple Shoes. So this was probably middle school years, so maybe 2004, 2005 to maybe early high school, so 2006 or so. And uh, I've had many different types of simple shoes over the years. I, I still have a few pairs, actually, thank goodness. And, you know, nowadays you really can't find them uh, in, uh, you know, different stores like you would think. You can find some of the old retro styles online and a few places that I'll, I'll mention a little bit later. But I have uh, still amazing shoes from them. I've got their uh, Aloha denim casual style shoes with the BioD additive. And with that uh, additive in there, it kind of breaks down and, 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 and is in the biodegradable outsole, which is made from 30% recycled rubber and 70% natural rubber. And it makes the EVA and rubber biodegrade in about 20 years or so in the traditional landfill or compost heap. But, you know, for me, I probably, you know, keep those shoes until they're, you know, old and ratty tatty. So I have a long uh, ways of use with them. I also have the uh, Planet Walkers, the leather uh, Mary Jane uh, style. I have those in brown. And uh, I used to have, and that's where I bought at the walking company, um, you know, back, uh, way back when, um, the Planet Walkers, the other shoe, the leathers, women's shoe. It's like a brown shoe. It's great for, you know, work or other events. It's really, uh, really sturdy. And it's also, I had that in brown. And then I also had um, the Eco Sneak shoes. I had the one with the checkered fabric. And it was like black, like a regular sneaker. And um, it, it was a beautiful, you know, time. And they, they had other shoe lines that were amazing. Like they are iconic. And I, I, I miss those days. They had the green toe, the Planet Walkers, which I, I've had those, uh, have one of those shoes. And I have the other pair, the Mary Janes. I love the Planet Walkers, by the way and the eco sneaks you know they those those lines were iconic and you know you, you're hard pressed to find them it's like finding a needle in a haystack because they were just that amazing and they had other items too they had stuff for small kids they had stuff for surfers they had stuff for like any group that you could think of 
And uh, as far as the materials I, I said that I would mention, they are um, really unique in that back in the day, they had um, their, their shoes made from all types of um, uh, types of uh, things. So uh, they had them, this is back in the late 2000s. So before um, 2010, I'd say they had their uh, products made from well, some of the uh, products they still have their recycled bits, but they used to have them from recycled tires and cork and uh, water-based glue, paper, hemp, cotton, uh, recycled PET bottles, which I thought was just amazing, still do, uh, merino wool, felt, jute, uh, crepe, uh, which is natural rubber. They had these amazing materials um, that they uh, use for their different lines of shoes. And I miss them, and I, I grew up with them. And I appreciate the new products too. Maybe in the future I'll uh, break out and get one of their clogs, because I love a great clog, and it's kind of the low-cut one, so um, those are always nifty. You know, I have a clog high heel, but I, I do love the nostalgia um, and just the the wholesomeness and just the laid-backness of Simple Shoes. Like, they've got some great, um, amazing styles to them. And uh, recently, they had their Kickstarter campaign to sort of revamp back in 2015. Uh, and then early back in 2016, they sort of uh, came up with amazing uh, relaunches of different products and expanded. So for those who are old-timers and who, you know, know the brand of Simple Shoes, you will enjoy what they have now. And uh, I love that um, it's just an amazing brand uh, that is, you know, tried and true and tested. And uh, it, it, for me, gets five out of five green thumbs up, no questions about it. And their packaging is recycled uh, when it comes to their box. Um, and I think they have other inserts, like the, the inserts for the shoes, and I think they have plastic somewhere. I'm not sure if it's recycled or not, but you can probably reuse that plastic, uh, the plastic uh, wrappings or something that comes in uh, their, their box shoes. Uh, with Simple Shoes, they can be found in store and online. You can check them out at the website simpleshoes.com. You can find them also on Amazon and eBay too. You can find them in extremely limited stock though on eBay. Like they don't, they're not um, sold by the Simple Shoes seller. They're sold by, of course, some people. But as far as the Planet Walkers, which I have, get yourself a Mary Jane pair or the regular shoe, um, the le their leather uh, brown shoe too, because the other Mary Janes is leather too. Really amazing. Um, the Planet Walkers, last time I checked, was uh, 40 pairs or so on eBay, and their Eco Sneaks, there were less than five pairs on there. And I think you can check them out also uh, on uh, the Natural Shoe Store on their website. I think that's a European store too. Um, so, you know, years later when this episode, you'll probably hear it back or maybe in the future, those shoes on uh, eBay will probably definitely be sold out. So be sure to get them when you can. Uh, with Simple Shoes, they are on the following social media platforms. They're on Facebook at Simple Shoes. They're on Instagram at Simple Shoes, all lowercase, all one word. They're on LinkedIn at Simple Shoes and also on Pinterest at Simple Shoes. And lastly, they're on Twitter at Simple Shoes. Now to contact Simple Shoes, you can just go to their website again, simpleshoes.com. And then view the bottom of the website under the Get Help tab to email or message them directly. 
right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and listening in on this episode. It took some time trying to get out with this episode. Um, it was lengthy, mainly because my phone isn't seeming to hold a charge. I gotta somehow find a solution for that. I'm trying to. Maybe I'll buy another charger or maybe try to figure out what the issue is. But nonetheless, I'm glad to have gotten this episode out. Uh, and it's a bit different from other previous episodes and it happens to be a little bit more about animals, but also protecting bees because, you know, sometimes I think we overlook the smallest of the, uh, especially when it comes to something like animals. Uh, and, you know, bees, they need a lot of help and we got to protect them. There are whole organizations and societies dedicated to bees. And there's a study of bees and specifically also another one of honeybees. So, People love uh, bees. They're they're um, amazing, uh, ancient, and beautiful uh, animal, and they need to be protected. So I want to thank you again for listening and tuning in, and I hope that you can always, uh, as always, come back for more and either share podcast episodes of Greener Thoughts or uh, rate on the podcast uh, how you will and send a review about it uh, to Apple Podcasts. I love all that um, uh, you do when it comes to, you know, being in depth with your reviews. And also uh, there's ways to uh, send money in regarding the podcast too, which you can check out on anchor.fm forward slash Greener Thoughts Podcast and then heading to su- support. And then there are different tiers uh, that you can look to uh, if you choose to support uh, that way. So uh, until next time, be safe and please take care of yourselves and our amazing, beautiful planet. Please take care of it. And I hope to uh, come uh, with you uh, and, and, and discuss uh, more issues later in the future in another podcast episode coming soon. So take care. See ya.